Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 15 of Film is Lit, the podcast where we compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or television adaptation. Flawlessly done, <laughs> Laura. Thank you. I'm Laura, she, her, the lit expert. I'm Danny, he, him, film expert, certified film expert. I took a quiz on BuzzFeed. Oh, nice. What did you get on it? It was pick a Subway sandwich and we'll tell you what film director you are. And I always go the classic turkey breast on... Italian herb and cheese. What other bread are you going to get? Honey oat? Get out of here. I like their flatbread. Okay. And yeah, I got Steven Spielberg. So, <laughs> so if that says anything. Yeah. He, he also orders that sandwich. So we are one in the same. Today, what are you laughing at? It's pretty, you're in the presence of someone akin to Steven Spielberg. Oh my God. That's uh, amazing. No autographs, please. I'm very busy and very famous. <laughs> One day, right? One day. You'll, you'll get there. My name in lights. <laughs> All right. Uh, this episode, we are covering Mansfield Park. Oh, yeah. You know from last season, Austin is my jam. <laughs> Bring on that sweet Jane Austen. I love her books. I just can't get enough of it. I'm being fresh, but well. Yeah. To be honest, this isn't my favorite Jane Austen novel. My favorite Jane Austen novel is Emma. Always has oh, been. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say Pride and Prejudice. Always will be. Gotcha. No, 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 no. It's Emma. I mean, we watched Emma in the theater mm-hmm. and... The 2020 film. Yeah. Right. And if you experience the amount of sass that she brings to the table, you'll understand why Emma is my favorite Jane Austen heroine over Elizabeth Bennet who's the main character in Pride and Prejudice. Emma's you much You like sassier. sass? I wouldn't have guessed it. I'm wow. kidding. I'm sass. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to get that in. Yeah. yeah. And and for our listeners, Emma, the 2020 adaptation, we are reviewing that in oh, yes. se- season three that we have coming out. Look so, forward to it. So yeah, that that's far away. We're still on the thick of season two, but if you want to prepare, read Emma because that, that's coming soon. So Because there's going to be at least one Jane Austen novel in every series that we do. Just a heads up. Hey, I'm going to make sure that there's well, at least no, one in each it's series It's completely of fair with the amount of... <laughs> heavy sci-fi books I request. It, you know, sure. Jane Austen isn't my genre, and heavy sci-fi isn't your genre. We're right. making we're compromises Dune, here. Right. Yeah. We're doing Dune this series, which I personally didn't, didn't love, but I read it. Well, so, yeah. I, yeah. Thank you for going into this open-minded because you only watch the movie correct we can go into yeah. journeys if you well, want to yeah, dive and into that it, it's a push and pull here see we can't just review stuff we love then this podcast would be pretty boring we need to do the whole spectrum right. we need to do stuff we hate stuff we kind of dislike in the middle and then all the way up to love if we just did the best movies and their books what why even do this podcast well and it's really tempting when we do episodes like that to just gush about how much we love in in general about the books or the movies and we're trying to be more analytical <laughs> yeah. with, with our discussions so that's why we're trying to give a good spectrum because we're trying to focus ourselves a little bit more than just say like wow this movie is great or this book is fantastic exactly so <laughs> and trying to expand my palette however yes. painful it might be 
Um, exactly. And, and I and I'm also I'm being fresh again because like with Pride and Prejudice, the movie last time, even though I couldn't get through the book in high school, watching the movie was was no pain in my behind. It's right? very enjoyable. Right. But well, that movie is enjoyable. <laughs> right. We'll get to this. This little any, ditty. Do you have a journey with Mansfield Park? Or no? no, I I quite literally my journey starts with us watching it and hopefully ends with this. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My journey starts with us watching it yesterday, and I don't know if I'm ever going to revisit it or read the book. I mean, I can't see. I, I, this is the honest truth. I don't see myself outside of this podcast ever reading Jane Austen. That's just one of those truths, internal truths that you know about yourself. Like, I've never tried acid, but I know that I'm the guy who you read about on the news who had like half a hit of acid or who was in the other room when someone was taking acid and somehow got high and like tried to skydive off of the roof. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, again, never have tried acid, never have tried any hard drugs, but there's that's just some internal truth deep down within me i know that i'm the guy who i don't know so saw- you're comparing jane austen to an acid trip i'm i'm <laughs> comparing it to an experience that i know is not going to end You'll well hate? <laughs> well no not necessarily hate this will be disastrous like that's why sure. it's not for me and and that's the case for a, a lot of drugs this is now an anti-drug pocket no i'm i'm cool <laughs> Uh, I'm cool. With I it. like little gin from here and there. Have a little. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John uh, Mulaney. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, um, I, I don't see myself ever reading this book. Uh, I, I didn't read the book for this podcast. But yeah, was not a fan of the movie. But I think the movie is, it's a very interesting type of bad. It's, it's not just like a bad plot per se, or bad filmmaking. This is a poor movie because of certain directorial choices. Mm-hmm. And this director, Patricia Rosema, she also wrote the script, or adapted the script, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So it's certain script changes and certain directorial choices that harpooned, if you will, her the boat that was Jane Austen's Mansfield's park and it's it's at the bottom of the ocean and it's it it swings through the fences and boy does it miss but yeah i i really wasn't a fan of it that's my story how about you i also don't have a long journey with this book i read it for the first time i read half of it when i was living in england and i read half of it after I got back for the second semester of my senior year. And I think there's a good reason why my class that covered British novels did not cover this one. Instead, it covered Emma. Because this isn't Jane Austen's most well-loved novel. So that's why it took me a little while to get around to it. And there are some interesting elements, but I had not read it a second time until we decided we were going to cover it in the podcast, and I had never seen the movie. So going from a text that I enjoyed but didn't necessarily love to a movie that I think really wanted to use the storyline in a very different way than Jane Austen did mm-hmm. really didn't work for me. So it was a real letdown. And especially like you were talking about, it's really hard not to compare it to Jane Austen's other novels, especially Pride and Prejudice and Emma. Mm-hmm. And 
because those are my two favorite books of hers, as well as the two most incredibly adapted into movies. Unfortunately, the bar is so high that right. this just paled so hard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we should say we're reviewing the 1999 adaptation of Mansfield Park. Right, yeah. I think there's like a TV movie and a couple other things, but yeah. yeah. So this we, is like the film Starring adaptation. Frances O'Connor, correct? Correct. Is her name? Who That's... I'm actually kind of a fan of. She hasn't starred in a lot, actually. Her her career hasn't didn't blow up like other um, actresses of her generation, but... She stars in one of my biggest guilty pleasures, Bedazzled, and released in 2000. It was the, it was the remake of the old Bedazzled movie, but it stars huh. Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, right. Olsten. Yeah, the movie is Bedazzled. Now we're talking about Bedazzled now. Is <laughs> pretty juvenile, and the jokes don't really land if you're, I don't know, over the age of 15. But... <laughs> I saw it on Comedy Central when I was 10, and I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Plus, I was, you know, on the cusp of puberty, and Elizabeth Hurley, I mean, that's another conversation, but, uh, <laughs> but Frances O'Connor stars as Brendan Fraser's girlfriend in the movie in Bedazzled. It's basically Aladdin, but instead of the genie being a genie, the genie's the devil. And the devil's granting Brendan Fraser wishes, and they're going to all these different scenarios that he wants. And Frances O'Connor, she's very versatile because she had to do a bunch of accents for that movie because they bounce around in location. And she was playing someone from America and England. She's from England, but someone from South America and Australia, all these different mm. accents. So talented actress, very capable. But as we'll get into, since Patricia Rosamond drastically changed her character from the book tried to add these elements of Jane Austen's real life into the character of Fanny. Right. The result is a character who doesn't feel like a real person, who bounces around from motivation and emotion from scene to scene. Yes. I could never get a solid read on her throughout the whole film. Yes. And it's not Frances O'Connor's fault. This is when the director, first and foremost, is in charge of the performances. Mm -hmm. And when you can't read a performance despite the actor's best efforts, right? It's not bad acting. It's just the wrong type of acting for, mm -hmm. from scene to scene. Unfocused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So Fanny Price, who is the main heroine in Mansfield Park, is actually quote unquote hated by literary critics, which I think is, I think is so unfair to her. She's treated as a prude because she's very pure. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of her whole deal. Very similar to in the movie, she is sent to her aunt and uncle's house to be educated because her parents are very poor and can't afford to ha I think she's like the eighth child and her parents end up having like 12 children. So they mm. can't afford to really take care of her or educate her. But her mother's sister is fairly wealthy and lives at Mansfield Park with her husband. So they send Fanny Price up to live with them. And so she's very timid and she's very naive in a lot of ways. 
I don't, I think it's even unfair to say that she's a prude because there are a lot of times that Fanny Price basically just sees through the acting that people do when they are in the higher classes mm. to upkeep their image. So to call Fanny a prude, I don't think is super fair. <laughs> like she's basically just seeing through people's bullshit. Right. And so I don't know why she's been saddled with this poor opinion by people who I think are probably just comparing her to characters like Elizabeth Bennett or Emma Woodhouse. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> yeah. And she's a little bit naive, I'll give you that, but I kind of liked someone who, unlike Emma Woodhouse, who's so mired in the upper class image, who can see through that because she's from the lower classes. And she understands that the things that matter are telling the truth and following what you think is right. And she at least has values. Yeah. So I think she's a fairly likable character in the book. Now compare that to what you started talking about in the movie where she's completely unfocused. She is actually pretty coy, which bothered me with Henry Crawford. Mm -hmm. She accepts Henry Crawford's proposal and then a day later says, oh, just kidding. Right. And that's the thing where she starts out the movie, you see her from a young age writing these letters, which fun fact was taken from Jane Austen's own writing when she was yes. a teenager called the Juvenilia. Yes. And she, so she's seen as this kind of like smart, self-confident, outspoken writer who, right. along with being intelligent, could back up her views and, yes. and would keep in contact with everyone and her family. Very clearly biographical. And this was this is an example of one of the additions that Rosamund made to the character of Fanny, which is incorporating a lot of Jane Austen herself into the character, yeah. which is great. But then when she arrives at Mansfield Park, she suddenly becomes very timid, mm -hmm. introverted, very shy. And it's and at first it's like, okay, she's maybe meeting her, this new family, this starting this new life. It's very overwhelming. But then that seems to stick with her into her adulthood. Then it's like, oh, so I, I guess this whole move, this change of scenery has completely altered her character. But then no, when right. Henry Crawford starts courting Fanny, then she switches and becomes the super confident, like, no, I can see through your bullshit. Right. Like I'm, I'm this high society. I'm one of the high society and, and my, here are my standards and no, and like very, yes. and like very proper and snappy in the, in the way right. that Emma is. And you're like, okay, cool. Now she's fighting back a little inconsistent with her character, but right. <laughs> it, it's funny. But then she's hit with the, the big uh, conflict of the movie is where Henry has extended his hand in marriage, wanting her to accept. Mm -hmm. And everyone around Fanny is basically listing all these reasons why a marriage to Henry Crawford would be advantageous mm -hmm. to her and everyone around her and why it's the best decision. But she loves Edmund, mm -hmm. who... <laughs> Totally. Her cousin. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, let's just get right out of the way. Her cousin. It's her cousin. Full Straight spoilers. Up, not up sec not second cousin, not third cousin. We're not talking FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt cousins. We're talking first cousins. First cousin. <laughs> yeah. Which to be fair, more normal during Jane Austen's time period when she's writing these things. But 
for the movie. Sure. Well, <laughs> they buried for, that a little I bit because I, I think they knew. Yeah, they buried the lead for sure. <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing. Even though it was normal for those times, more normal, relatively, watching it now, it's not. It's just not normal. But her big dilemma is that she has everyone saying, listing all these reasons, and a lot of those reasons are correct, by the way, of her, of how marrying mm -hmm. Henry is the best choice for her. It's right, he's rich. He's... Yeah. All these listed reasons, her life will be considerably... Ha well, she'll, ha she'll be able to join a class above hers. Right. But her heart loves someone else, Edmund, who we're talking about, her cousin. So that's actually... This happens around midway through the film, where I was at, I was pretty compelled by the film of being like, oh, this is actually very traumatic, very compelling of this push and pull. Do I go with a practical marriage? Or do I go for love? And I'm sorry to steal the line that you had written down, but my favorite scene is when Fanny has a talk with her mother, who you remember yeah. that Fanny left her mother's house because it was so poor and right. and she had a huge family and it, it clearly was there in a bad part of town. Mm -hmm. Her mother said, remember Fanny, I married for love. Basically right. saying like, look at where I am. I, cho I chose my heart over practicality and this is my life now. And that's actually really, really compelling. But then after, you know, half a movie, Mm -hmm. of Fanny denying Henry Crawford. Like, she couldn't be more clear with her emotions of saying, look, I'm not into you. I doubt that enough time will pass where my mind will change. I know yeah. you're willing to wait, but it's just not going to happen. We're on different wavelengths. We're two different people. Different values. I clearly love someone else. You know that I love Edmund. Mm -hmm. So after half... A movie of her saying that over and over to Henry. She already publicly denied his marriage proposal and mm -hmm. in her whole family is is hating on Fanny pretty hard. The next scene she's all lovey-dovey with right. Henry and they it's go like for a walk and suddenly everything is changed. They go for a walk and it's like what who who are we watching right now? Is this a different person? Well I mean to be fair, I guess things like that can happen when you send a cart full of white doves and fireworks. <laughs> right. But <laughs> like, even then, though, she's not fully... There's this weird scene. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I thought the scene was cute, okay, but... I think it's over the top and silly. I but... mean, maybe it's a little over the top, but it, it, it gets the point across. But even in that scene, Fanny, you know... Patricia Rosema makes an effort to frame Fanny in, in this light of, like, still not sold on Henry, still right. not yeah. sold. Yeah, because she leaves before everyone else goes back in the house. Right. And she's kind of half smiling, but in a, like, oh, that's cute, but I yeah. haven't changed my mind way. Yeah. But then in this next scene, it's like we're watching a different character all entirely, and she says, okay, yes, I'll marry you. And she's all lovey-dovey, and like she's being swept away, head over heels. And listen, I know that emotions are fragile, and when you're in love and out of love and in love and in a relationship, those you know feelings are fleeting, and, and you can go up and down like a roller coaster. But this mm -hmm. is such a drastic swing from what we have been previously shown mm -hmm. that it just doesn't ring true when you watch it. It feels like a joke. And then to make matters worse, 
the next day she wakes up and realizes, oh, I've made a huge mistake, which is, again, you know, people make mistakes. Mm -hmm. This is a big thing. But to have her already deny his marriage proposal, then to make him wait for months, it Mm -hmm. seems like, and then to say, yes, I'll marry you, and then to double down and go, actually, no. Whoops. I mean, maybe if that was the first time she said yes and then realized, oh, no, I made a huge mistake, Mm -hmm. I'd understand it then, but this was the second time. And Henry reacts. He's pissed. And you, the viewer, are like, yeah, Yeah. I I understand you, which you're not supposed to sympathize with Henry at any point in the story. But... The fact that you are, the fact that you are completely on Henry's side. I mean, you don't necessarily hate Fanny, but you're just like, dang, what a, <laughs> what have you done, Fanny? Like, right. well, you've just completely ripped this man's heart twice. The first right. time wasn't your fault because he proposed to you and you hadn't let him on at all. But this second time, it's your fault. Yeah. You let him on. <laughs> totally. And it's this is now your mess to clean up. And that's not a good, that's not a good way to frame the character who you're supposed to to root for. Right. And so I'm actually going to retrace your steps a little bit because you did steal my thunder by claiming that your favorite scene was the scene with her mother, I, yeah. which is very touching. And the thing that was really surprising to me was that in the book, Fanny's family actually completely forgets about her. She's sent away at the age of probably seven years old, and she knows pretty much when she leaves that her family's giving her up. Right. And so when she goes back to Portsmouth, where she's from, her mother basically ignores her. She kind of doesn't have the time. And Mm. you can kind of sympathize with the mother a little bit because you're like, I mean, she's got like a countless amount of kids. And Fanny's been taken care of at this point, so she's not her problem. Right. So it's actually kind of touching that the director decided to rewrite the mother character and give her a little bit of a caring personality where she does feel guilty that she couldn't take care of all of her children. Right. So the conversation where she tells Fanny, look where marrying love got for me. And the whole entire book is a meditation on the benefits and the detriments of marrying for either love or for money and society. Mm -hmm. So, and also shout out to Lindsay Duncan, who I was very surprised to see because she plays the mother Mary in my favorite movie about time. (laughs) She's great in that. She's incredible. And she actually plays Fanny's mother and Fanny's aunt, Mrs. Norris. Yeah, two characters. Pretty cool. In Mansfield Park. And yeah, she's a, sorry to steal your thunder from your point of me (gasps) stealing your thunder, but I'm a huge fan of Lindsay Duncan. She's a very underrated actress. She's in a lot of English movies Mm -hmm. and she's originally from Scotland. Shout out to Scotland. That's where my great, 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 great grandfather was from. Great, 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 great. So I'm basically, I'm 100% Scottish, basically. But anyway, she shows up a lot in movies for like a scene or two scenes and Mm -hmm. always kills it. She's in a Birdman. She plays the critic who tells Michael Keaton that she's going to torpedo his Uh Broadway 
production and she ends up writing a great review. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for Birdman. But she's also in a very a small movie that came out last year called Little Joe. I watched this movie mm -hmm. on our flight back from Massachusetts and it's this weird little indie, but I loved it. That This is another recommendation. If you're into very artsy fartsy kind of sci-fi thriller, low budget, you know, horror almost, I would check out Little Joe. She plays a psychotherapist in that movie. Mm -hmm. She had only has about two scenes kills it steals everything well in about like, time she's in maybe yeah. five scenes yeah oh Lindsay Duncan she was also in how could I forget the leftovers she's in the final season of the leftovers she plays someone from Australia which is also great because she's not Australian but she kills the accent as usual she's a and a, she's in Sherlock oh cool. which is one of my favorite shows of all time yeah the, How about that? The Mark Gaddis series, which is incredible. Far better than the movies. I don't care about the movies, but Sherlock, the BBC show. Are you talking shit about my boy Robert <laughs> Downey Jr.? Are you kidding me? Have you seen Benedict Cumberbatch? You haven't watched that series. Benadryl Cucumbers. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't, but come it's, on. Uh, RDJ, he, he's Tony anyway, Stark. Anyway, come on. If you haven't seen the BBC series, then yeah. you don't know what you're talking We've about. We've gone on anyway, a huge tangent. Lindsay anyway, Duncan. My point, Lindsay yeah. Duncan is very touchy in the role of her mother. Yeah, and this is an example of a good change from the book. Right, and honestly, I completely <laughs> Oh, well, you're talking about that you're going off of that scene. Anyway, back to the point of the book, which is Jane Austen's thoughts on the pros and cons of marrying for either love or money. Jane Austen very specifically builds Henry Crawford's character as a very duplicitous and playboy kind of personality. And so when the Bertrams, which is Fanny's cousin's family, get sucked in by his charms and his idea to put on this whole play and she sees right through it for exactly what it is which is just him basically wanting to play around with her two cousins Mariah and Julia you're on Fanny's side mm -hmm. and you automatically side with her again when Henry is turned down by Mariah, who he was flirting with even though she was engaged. Mm -hmm. And Mariah makes the decision to not break off her engagement because she doesn't want to be tempted by Henry Crawford. And Henry goes back to his cottage where he lives with his sister. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to go back to Mansfield Park and flirt with Fanny for sport. Mm -hmm. Right. So you literally read that conversation and you're like, Henry is a piece of shit. <laughs> Right. And it's interesting because sort of through the rest of the novel, Fanny's pureness and interestingly, her relationship with her brother, which is not mentioned in the movie, which I thought was a complete loss, mm -hmm. actually turns Henry into a more thoughtful character. And the reason he has an affair with Mariah after she's married is because he's sort of heartbroken twice, twice <laughs> by Fanny when he realizes that she's literally too pure for him. And so that's so clear for the reader. It's so clearly mapped out that Fanny can see even after he's been sort of turned by her purity that he's not there for who she really is. It's such a disappointment in the movie to have his character not developed 
as a complete playboy who doesn't care about who she is because it confuses you. And exactly like what you said, he's a sympathetic character. And right. you actually don't understand why Fanny keeps turning him down. Right. So those lines are really blurred and it doesn't do a good job of defending Fanny's point of view. Yeah. And in the movie, when he starts flirting with Mariah, snuggling up to her bosom and, you mm-hmm. know, when they're in, about to do the play and kissing or maybe a little bit at first you're like okay that's a little scandalous since she's engaged to be married okay to mr rushworth right. poor poor, <laughs> poor mr, mr. rushworth <laughs> but it's not it's not framed in a way that henry is a is a bad man obviously right. adultery is inherently wrong but they never sleep together at that point point. Yeah. and the minute henry starts pursuing fanny you are given no reason to think that he's being exactly ingenuous and fanny keeps on saying like i want someone who's not gonna you know play games with me someone who's pure someone you know who's in it for the right reasons and you're watching it being like henry looks like he's (laughs) in it for the right reasons like exactly but of course he flirted around with mariah but that's in the past he's made an effort to show you i'm willing to change for you i am here for you you're given no no clues into fanny's mind into her rationale of like why is she saying these things about henry when all he did was flirt with Mariah a little bit. Well, and again, going back to the book, this huge change is related to the fact that Fanny actually witnesses Edmund very seriously court Mary, who's Henry's sister, and she still sees that the reason that Edmund has feelings for Mary is because she's putting on a front of purity which is what Edmund is drawn to. And so Fanny never wavers from seeing people for who they really are and letting that rationale guide her emotions. Mm -hmm. And you just don't get that from the movie either. I think it's also very clear that Edmund is acting in the same way as Fanny, he just isn't as good at reading people. So you're also confused by Edmund's draw to Mary. It's kind of confusing about what he's attracted to in her, and it makes him also seem a little bit unfocused as a character. Right. And if I were to try to write down the character traits of Edmund and Fanny, and to be honest, Mary, Henry's sister, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I'd be at a loss. Okay, so Edmund, okay, so he's British and he's in love with Fanny. That's all I can really tell. And I could go and then Mary seems smart and high class, maybe a little, a little shifty, a, a little duplicitous. She reminds me of Caroline from Pride and Prejudice. Mm, right, but less, less sinister, but also less memorable and defined until the end. Exactly. Yeah. From the movie. Yeah, and then as far as the movie, goes. and then as we've already said, Fanny is just all over the place. But yeah, finishing up our point on Henry. So by the time that Fanny has, how can I say this in the most intelligent, highbrow way? By the time Fanny has taken a big stinky poopy dump <laughs> on Henry. And then he, and then he's consoling with Mariah at Mansfield Park, which was changed right in the book. They meet Mariah and him meet in London, correct? Right. So they change it to Mansfield Park, and so Mariah is, you know, consoling him, and she also admits that she's 
in an unhappy marriage and wants to leave. Now again, I am not saying that committing adultery is a good thing. Right. Or, but I'm saying in this instance, as a viewer, you completely see where these two vulnerable, hurt people are coming yeah. from. And to be honest, I had no problem with them hooking up. Right. Again, no, I, adultery, bad. Yeah. But as a viewer in this context, you're like, yeah, go at it. Like, Same just page. like bang, oh, yeah. bang it out. Like, <laughs> yeah. and what's so stupid is that they decide to one, do it in Mansfield Park. Like, go at least go on the woods. Yeah. Like, geez, like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's, and he's like one door down from like Fanny's his, room. <laughs> they're one door down from Fanny's room and feet from, <laughs> from Thomas, a dying brother. Like having, committing adultery feet away from your sick, dying brother is a choice. <laughs> and they do it in the middle, in the middle of a room. They don't even go to a dark room, just a completely brightly lit room. Like this is what I'm talking about, directorial choices. Made to be discovered. Yeah, the, the door is like wide <laughs> like, open. <what? laughs> And Fanny just stumbles. Speakers don't exist, but there are speakers in the room. Yeah, they're like, they're like, they're looking over their, their, their dying brother who's like puking on the ground. And then they're like, oh, what's that? Like, it sounds like a, a, a soft thumping and like a moaning in the background. That doesn't happen, but I'm telling you the situation. And Fanny basically just stumbles across them. And it's presented in a way like Fanny's like, see, like I knew that Henry was, was this playboy and not in it for love. But it's like, no, like he, <laughs> he was in it for love. You hurt him. You hurt. And you drove him to Mariah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just it like. Which is funny because that would actually make Fanny unlikable in the book. But because that doesn't happen, she's more likable in the book. Right. So I don't know why she gets all this hate. And there's this view like Fanny's like, oh, see, I, I was right not to like. But then Fanny is upset by catching Mariah and Henry together. But she really doesn't. It's not who is Mariah's husband? Mr. Rushworth. It's not like she had like a good relationship with him. And it's like, why should Fanny, I mean, realistically care that these two are having sex. I think the reason is because she's so in love with Edmund that she knows that Edmund's sister committing adultery is gonna be such a societal taboo that mm. it's gonna hurt him. I think that's why she's supposed to be upset. But again, the relationship between Fanny and Edmund is not clear. And I can't be, I can't emphasize that enough. It's not clear enough in the movie for you to recognize that she's upset because that's going to affect Edmund. It is in the book. And in movies like Pride and Prejudice and Emma, as well as the books, obviously, you understand the love characters have for another person via the dialogue or via mm -hmm. their their actions. Well, but via, and... I actually want yeah. to, I'm going to highlight that a little bit. A lot of it is based on eye contact, which is incredibly subtle. And in fact, that's why Emma, the movie excels because eye contact is something that's very difficult to write, but very easy to visually cue. 
And Emma does that incredibly perceptively, even to the point where if you haven't read the book, you can't pick up on the eye contact. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, there's, there is some chemistry between Edmund played by Johnny Lee Miller. He's used in uh, Train Spotting and that show Elementary where he plays Sherlock Holmes. Speaking of Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some chemistry between Johnny Lee Miller and Francis O'Connor, but not enough to say, oh, these two are secretly in love with each other (laughs) what keeps on happening is other characters say you're in love with fanny or you're in love with edmund this happens at least five times where other people basically straight to the audience i keep on saying basically in this episode i I apologize to the listeners i haven't noticed but these characters say almost straight to the camera you're in love hey fanny you're in love with edmund or hey edmund you're in love with fanny it's a it's a huge case of telling not showing which is a which is a big screenwriting taboo writing in general yeah 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 so i just that's well and you know what i want to talk about i want to lean into the subtlety of jane austen's writing because jane austen understood that her writing was satirical because the time period in which she lived was all based on subtleties. Mm. You could not be direct in public. And so the way to express your true feelings was in things like, I'm going to go back to the movie of Pride and Prejudice when Mr. Darcy touches Elizabeth's hand when she's getting into the carriage. Mm-hmm. And there's that whole thing where she's like, whoa, what just happened? And you're like, wait, he just like gave her his hand. It's a huge moment. And in Emma, the eye contact, again, (laughs) I'm going to lean into that eye contact. If you read the eye contact correctly, you'll understand that there's a relationship between two characters that are denying that they have a relationship. Right. And so in a movie that is supposed to lean into subtlety, for it to fail in every way. It's like, how can you even say that this is based on Jane Austen's writing? Mm-hmm. That to me is like sacrilegious. <laughs> well, and that's the thing where <laughs> Rosama, she's quoted as saying that this is not a Jane Austen film. This is a Patricia Rosama film. And her and her her goal was to provide provide a fresh view to this story. Bummer, because <laughs> but I think. <laughs> And what I think what we're trying to say is that there's nothing wrong with completely changing an adaptation. Sometimes that's that's really sure. exciting and invigorating. And in the case of something like Arrival, they added for the movie a whole new element of the aliens mm-hmm. actually coming down in their ships. And they also added a conflict with other countries, mm-hmm. specifically China. And it's a completely different story, mm-hmm. basically. And but it's all for the better, mm-hmm. as we stated in our episode. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with completely gutting, you know, a story and like changing no. it and taking and taking certain elements here and there, certain characters. But I think we're just trying to say that the choices that Rosama made were just not executed in a way that makes any real sense narratively or thematically. Narrat- thematically. Correct. Yeah. It's just. It's just an awkward, awkward, weird film. And another choice I wanted to get to, which is the big one, the addition to this movie, the addition of the conversation of slavery. Yes, this is 
probably one of the biggest things that I want to discuss in this episode. Oh, take it away, Laura. <laughs> and it goes back to subtlety. Now, something that a lot of critics who have studied Jane Austen are very interested in is her lack of conversation about s- slavery. Mm-hmm. Which was clearly going on between her... She died when she was like 45. So definitely going on during her lifetime. Right. And enriching people in the area in which she grew up. And so, like I was saying with Jane Austen, if she mentions it, it's a big deal. And there are two mentions in her novels. There's a mention in Emma and there's a mention in Mansfield Park. And the conversation in which she mentions slavery in Mansfield Park is a very quick thing. It's basically that Fanny understands that the money that her uncle, Mr. Bertram, has accrued is due to the slave trade in Antigua. It's mentioned very, very subtly. Now, in the movie, Mr. Bertram's character is changed in a way that I think... Rosima, the director, was trying to comment on how disgusting and immoral the slave trade was, is, but the way that she went about it was so unfocused that... And unfinished. And unfinished, that I think it didn't come across. And it, in fact, came across as very crass. It's unclear what she's trying to say. There's this weird moment. I, it was very jarring. It comes right me. after Fanny finds oh, yeah. Maria so, and so, Henry. Yeah, so again, it was very jarring to me, not because I care about seeing sex in a film. Hashtag Call Me By Your Name is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, uh, fun fact <laughs> also, this is the first and only nipple that you ever see in a Jane Austen adaptation. Go on. Oh, that is a fun fact. Yeah. Go on. So again, not that I care about seeing sex in films, whatever. If you do it tastefully or with a peach, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) But to introduce that kind of vulgarity in a Jane Austen piece, I think you really have to have a point behind it. (laughs) So to see that scene and then somehow Fanny also ends up in Thomas's room and discovers this sketchbook that apparently Thomas, who is Mr. Bertram's son, has used to depict the violences toward black women that he's experienced seeing his father perpetuate in Antigua is very discombobulating. Well, yeah, it it does come out of nowhere. (laughs) Absolutely nowhere. And I was literally in the middle of writing a note saying, holy crap, in the movie, basically the only way that you find out that Henry and Mariah are having an affair is because they quote unquote run to Scotland. And that's basically the equivalent of people going to Vegas to get a quickie marriage. (laughs) So... Going from the book to seeing this full-on sex scene between Mariah and Henry, and then suddenly you're looking at cartoons, basically, of Mr. Bertram raping black women. It's so upsetting. I, I, I and was. I, I think it's, it's meant. It's meant to be upsetting to get the point across. The very I think boiled down slavery is bad. Of course. Of course. But. but- it's, it's, it's distasteful. The way it's, it, it just, the way how it just sneaks up on you, it, it's just, if you're yeah. going to deal 
with a topic that serious. I mean, slavery is such a horrific stain on world history. I mean, yes. especially American history, but even in England, of course, with of imper course, imperialism. History, yeah. yeah, And I'm not saying that you can't tackle these topics, but you can't just tease it in the middle and then drop it. You either got to go just like full bore, like 12 Years a Slave is such a great film and it's a hard film to watch, but you know, it depicts it very realistically or, or something or something, you know, it's akin to like, you know, movies about, about the Holocaust, a very serious, tragic, awful time period, but you can't just sprinkle that in. Like think about right. any film, you know, you, I don't know. How about Back to the Future? The picture you're watching Back to the Future, and then all of a sudden they time travel to the, the 40s during the invasion in Poland, and then it becomes about that for 10 minutes. And then they time travel somewhere else, and they never mention that again. Yeah. That's exactly Incredibly what happens. Incredibly distasteful and disrespectful. Ultimately, Mr. Bertram comes to understand that he's been abusive. He walks in on Fanny looking at these cartoons, and he's so, he be, it's like this epiphany moment for him of like, oh my goodness, I've been so evil. I have to change my ways. And he has this like breakdown. He's like crying in front of the fire and he burns the sketchbook. I think there are literal scenes missing from the movie mm -hmm. that show this change. Also, I think it's unfinished, as I said earlier, that the scene happens, Fanny's upset by it, I thought Mr. Bertram threw the book in the fire to destroy the evidence, not to, not that he's having a change of heart. But I think we're just never shown this change of heart. And not only does Fanny never bring it up again, but no one brings it up again. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of the movie, they say, oh, Mr. Bertram moved on from his business ventures in Antigua and moved to tobacco, like in right. America. Which means that he basically just went from one country to another country exploiting black people. Right, but <laughs> the, but it's never addressed again. So going back to my mm. Back to the Future example, so picture they go to Poland, they see the, the German invasion, and then they they go to the German official. They go back to 1985, and then at the end of the movie, they're like, "Oh yeah, the, the Allies won World War II." And you're like, "Wait a second! Oh yeah, they didn't." didn't the Holocaust happen? Yeah, and the, it was really traumatic they, they, and terrible. They for... just they they bring it up, but they don't do anything with it, and it's almost it's almost worse to bring it up and to not resolve that storyline at all. Like I said, it's just un so unclear. It's like, did he have a change of heart or did they just bring it up to say, hey, slavery is bad. Now let's get back to the movie. It's just so poorly handled. Right. Or the fact, like, let's say that Mr. Bertram had this change of heart. Mm -hmm. Having a change of heart doesn't mean you're a good person again. Yeah, when you like, introduce someone as a rapist, you can't just yeah. have them be a character in the rest of the film and right. not talk who's, about who's it. Who's like, oh, tittering at the end, like, oh, finally Fanny and Edmund are getting along yeah. with their relationship. That's something that makes me take the television and like piss on it because <laughs> I'm so angry. That's- We're being very eloquent but this then, episode. But then to just say, like to literally make a joke about like, you know what? I've made poor decisions. I'm going to leave all that behind and decide to go do it somewhere else. And let's go to America where they also are completely fine with slavery. I, I find that incredibly distasteful. Like, that is kind of a joke. 
like in the end when they say that he moved his businesses to the tobacco trade and in the background you see that they they're making quote-unquote improvements which is basically renovating the mansion in mansfield park that's that's said as just kind of an offhanded joke so it's like so his his transplantation of cruelty from antigua to america is a joke right is that the tone that we're going for is it just by yeah. the end of the movie i was so turned off and i think the director is trying to make a statement about oh, yeah. the, the intention fact that the intention slavery is bad yeah of course she's well meaning and i think but, I don't think it's she was trying to right be tone. right. She, I don't think she was trying to be flippant at the end at all. She was just trying, trying to tie it in with the tone of the rest of the film. In doing so, though, the message gets really misconstrued, and you do have this joking attitude yeah. around slavery, and you also have that jarring scene that we've mentioned that that is unresolved. So yeah, it, it's it's just yeah. very awkward and it I wouldn't be surprised if this movie was cut down for length cuz it, it just mm-hmm. feels unfinished and in doing so it seriously hinders the film and leads this very these tonal shifts that you know go up and down like a roller coaster. I think it's a really good example of when is the right time to elevate voices of people who have actually lived discrimination rather than write your own piece about how it's affecting you and how it's about you. Does that make sense? Like, I just think this is a really good example of a perspective of white guilt Mm -hmm. rather than the director uplifting voices of people who may have actually been impacted by the institution of slavery. Right. This is someone who probably, hey, I'm making an assumption, but she's probably never personally experienced anything that had to do with the institution of slavery. So I I think that's why she struggles with the tone. Mm -hmm. And I think for the difference, if you want to go back to the book, with Jane Austen, I think she also did not have a lot of experience, mm-hmm. but she makes a point of asking questions about it right. to understand it further. And again, with that subtlety, the difference between asking a question and making a statement about something that you don't understand is actually very vast. And I mean, full disclosure, we are both white, <laughs> so we may also be very wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we have like a lot to learn, but it's just yeah, it's just all about all about tone, and yeah, mm-hmm. you can certainly, uh, no matter your race, you can you can write about about any other race. That's perfectly fine. Like Tarantino and Django Unchained, but he completely commits to the tone and to the message that he's trying to make, where that that is acceptable for him to write about something like that. Whereas this. Well, he's satirizing the white perspective. Exactly. Because, and he can understand that white perspective, I, I think. Yeah, whereas this film, Rosema, her intentions are good. Mm-hmm. And it's refreshing to see an Austin adaptation deal with something other than, you know, the lives of the, the high genteel class right. and relationships mm-hmm. and marriage. But as we keep on saying again, it's handled in such a way that feels very white guilty and feels unfinished and therefore kind of has the 
the inverse effect of mm. being even more offensive. All right, well, yeah, that we started out pretty goofy and then we got pretty serious about slavery, but Well, if I if I can just cap it off with yeah, one just, other change that really personally bothered me gotcha was that something that jane austen uses as a facilitator of her theme is fanny's relationship with her brother william and this is something that i found very endearing in the book because i have a very close relationship with my brother which you guys heard in the shining episode but there are multiple instances where Fanny is brought to a decision or Fanny makes a good impression on someone because of William. And I really missed that relationship. And I think the movie tries to fill William's shoes with her sister, who's in the movie a lot, and is the person that Fanny is constantly writing to. We didn't actually mention the fact that there are a lot of takes to the camera, breaking oh, the fourth wall. which. I think Greta Gerwig rightly used in her adaptation of Little Women. Yes. Th that's one of the, the yes. few good... I think it's well-framed in this movie, and I think Little Women owes a little bit to Patricia Rosema for that framing I device. I completely agree. I was very reminded of the most recent adaptation of Little Women, which we will cover, don't worry. But basically... It was just really, it lacked a lot of, of heart and soul for me. Her relationship between her and her sister in the movie just did not have the depth that Fanny had with her brother. In fact, we talked a lot about how Fanny seemed very unfocused when it came to her relationship with Henry. And I think that is a direct result of William not being in the movie. Mm. Because one of the reasons that Henry starts to realize I might actually be in love with Fanny is because he witnesses Fanny's interactions with William when he comes back. He's in the Navy and he comes back to Mansfield Park every once in a while to visit Fanny and Henry observes their close and deep relationship. Mm. And it's, it's a little, it's oddly incestuous, but Austin presents these three men in Fanny's life as a spectrum. So Henry Crawford represents the money, William represents the filial love, and Edmund Bertram represents the perfect marriage of the sort of societal benefits and emotional love. And that's why Fanny is ultimately fated to choose Edmund, because that is the perfect you know, smoothie of personality. <laughs> mm, that's a so, good old cousin smoothie. <laughs> this is so yucky. Um, but again, I think that's why her character in the movie seems so unfocused because there isn't that motivation for Henry to see Fanny's true self, you right. know? Yeah. So anyway, this movie suffers in a lot of aspects, but those are the biggest ones. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to mention a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. The lighting is so okay. bad. Oh, okay. Oh, well, in one scene, I, I <laughs> no, in, mentioned it. But. Well, in a lot of scenes. I'm just saying, there is no way that people sitting inside during, let's say, 18, I don't know, 21, would have had full lighting coming from like one source of light, let's say like the moon, 
and being able Mm -hmm. to like have like full lighting like on their face like no shadows Mm -hmm. no flickering of a candle or something like that and there's like there's a there are a few scenes where there's just completely flat lighting on people who are like inside at like 9 p.m that doesn't work yeah (laughs) i think that's why uh the favorite, which came out in 2018, which is oh my goodness, it's, uh, so good. it's set in relatively the same time period, but it's all natural light used in that mm-hmm. film. So a lot of times in the nighttime, you can't really see anyone, or you can only mm-hmm. see what's right in front of the candle. So that's I, a more realistic rendition of this time Little period. Little Women does a really good job at that, even yep. though it's not all natural lighting. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Roger Deakins with all of his dark lighting. I mean, don't get me started. Yeah. But. Yeah, don't get me started. So. All right. Well, final ratings for the book. The book, I would go three to three and a half stars. I think it's good. I think maybe start with Mansfield Park, go to Pride and Prejudice, and then end with the climax of Emma. Nice. Yeah. Great. And how about the movie? movie? <laughs> I don't know, like half a star. <laughs> I would never watch this again. I mean, I wouldn't either. Half a star is a little too harsh for me. I think some of the performances are good. The, okay, yeah. the 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 middle portion of the movie where Fanny's going through this inner turmoil of who do I pursue, love or practicality. So uh, it's a star for me. Again, a uh, one star out okay, of four. Maybe I'll go on. You convinced me. Yeah. So not a complete disaster, but certainly a bad film. Uh, one star film. We're not going to revisit it anytime soon. Uh, Read the book. Don't watch the movie. Yeah. Well, I hope you liked this episode. It was pretty wild, pretty crass, but um, (laughs) I hope you tune in for the next one, which is Dune. Dune. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Laura's favorite book. I'm just kidding. It's mine. Um, We'll have a special guest host for that one, so buckle up. Buckle up. I'm not going to tell you who it's going to be, but it's someone who's incredible. (laughs) Hey, before we end, shout out to Mrs. Kelly, who's our biggest fan. Yeah, my high school. Surprisingly, it's not my mom and it's not your mom. It's actually. Yeah, my high school guidance counselor, one of our biggest fans, posts about our podcast all the time these lovely comments she doesn't have to do this we're not paying her so we really appreciate it our love goes out to miss kelly and her family all right mm-hmm. and, and to all our listeners we should say too thank you yeah. rate and subscribe if you want we'll see you on, on the, the next, next one, one.